Well, let me extend a welcome that I'm sure you've got several times so far. My name is Dwight. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I was thinking the other day, can you believe that next Sunday is the last Sunday of July? Um, I felt like May, I kept waiting and waiting. It seemed like June was never going to come. And then it seems now like June is here and gone forever. So uh, hopefully the things that you're wanting to get done this summer, you're well on your way to having completed those. This summer, um, we've been looking through the book of Proverbs, and we've been saying throughout this series that it's a book of a number of sayings where God is inviting us and calling us to certain characteristics, to certain attitudes, to certain behaviors, and saying to us, this is the way to a flourishing life. Come this way. It's, it's better for you which is something that I'm sure all of us in here want for ourselves. It's certainly something that we as a church want that. We've been talking about the fact that uh, we're talking in this Sunday and every Sunday that our goal is not that you would acquire more information about the Bible or even simply that if you walk away from here and agree and have what we would consider to be correct positions on what the Bible says, then we've accomplished it, that what we're really after is we're learning more and more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be like Jesus, and that we're continuing to strive to be like Jesus because the more and more we become like Jesus, the greater the opportunity for us to experience the flourishing life. Today, I'm going to be focusing on on a word, and I'm going to be reading from uh, three verses, one from chapter 3 in Proverbs, one from chapter 11 in Proverbs, and one from chapter 16. I was reading an article recently, and it was talking about about authors, and uh, especially as it relates to novels, And it was talking about how that when an author sits down and is going to begin to establish characters, obviously he has to give character traits to the people in the novel. And what they were talking about is uh, what would be positive character traits that we could give. And, And they listed a criteria. They said it's character traits a culture or society would ascribe as, as valuable. So they're looking at characters and say, okay, what does the culture or society hold as being a ver- valuable character quality? And they, they create characters that have that or character traits that a culture or society deems noble or virtuous or desirable. What I was intrigued by and what caught my attention was there was seven that they listed and the first one was kindness. It caught my attention because that's the assignment I have been given today to talk about the word kindness. It doesn't take uh, much to realize that we live in a culture and in a society right now that kindness is not something that seems to mark life. I read this quote this week. It says, you can accomplish by kindness what you cannot by force. You can accomplish by kindness, what you cannot be forced, uh, by force. Here's what those three verses say about kindness. Proverbs chapter 3, 
verse 3. Here's what we read. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17, we read, Your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. And Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24 says, Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Now, how would we define kindness? I think kindness is simply choosing to do something that helps others more than yourself. It's something that you're doing with genuine positive intent to be uh, helpful to that person. It often means putting others' needs before our own. I think it's also doing something that is fairly unexpected and in some cases may be undeserved. And today, what I want to do is I want to give you three reasons, suggest to you three reasons why I think that the writer of uh, Proverbs talked so much about this issue of kindness and why this becomes for us something that's really important for us to make a part of our lives as we strive to become more and more like Jesus and as we uh, strive to experience the flourishing life. Here's the first reason. The first reason I think it's mentioned in the Bible is because of what kindness provides for us. One of the things that I'm excited about over the course of my life is how much science over the years continues to discover and essentially prove what the Bible has talked about for a long time. When I was a kid growing up, and, and we talked about uh, what were reasons why I should believe the Bible to be the Word of God, what separates the Bible from other religious books. We basically had uh, concepts like there's prophecies in the Bible uh, that have taken place. One of my favorite ones, and one of the ones that always gave me a great deal of confidence, was looking at scientific uh, things that are mentioned in the Bible. Uh, in fact, one of the uh, a book in the Bible called Job is actually considered to be the oldest book we have in our Bible. And there's a number of scientific realities that we see communicated in the Bible, everything from the water cycle to the fact that the uh, sun is the center of the universe and all those things. Uh, demonstrate that the Bible communicated those thousands and thousands of years before science actually said those to be true. In fact, I was reading a book, I'm reading a book right now that talks about some of that and how that, uh, uh, you know, that when the, they first began to suggest some scientists that the earth was not the center, how everybody reacted to that. But we've discovered so many other things. This is an example is kindness. Listen to what science has discovered about science. Studies reveal that kind of kindness benefits your mental health and well-being. It reduces stress, improves mood, self-esteem, and happiness. Studies reveal that kind acts improve our lives no matter how large or small the act may seem because they build social bonds, they help us increase trust and acceptance in our relationships, and they help us increase our overall happiness. A recent study focused on employees of a company. 
And they did something really interesting. They asked the employees over the course of this study to do one of two things, either to perform an act of kindness for one of their coworkers or keep track of the number of kind acts that they received that somebody did for them. The results showed that those who received acts of kindness became happier, demonstrating the value of kindness for the person doing the receiving. But what I find fascinating is that they also discovered that those who delivered the acts of kindness benefited even more than the receivers. The whole, it's better to give than to receive, science is actually finding that that's actually true. Another study incorporated money to test the power of kindness. What they did is they gave the participants, in in some cases $5 and in some cases $20, and they told them they could either spend it on themselves or they could take the money and use it to demonstrate kindness towards somebody. And then what they would do is at the end of the day, they would interview them. They would measure uh, their level of kindness in the beginning of the day. Then they would measure their, I mean, their happiness. Then they would measure their level of happiness at the end of the day. And what they discovered was that their happiness level increased Obviously, whichever one they did, whether they were happy because they got to buy something that they weren't expecting or that they gave something, but, but the results also indicated that those who had spent the money on others were happier than those who had kept the money and spent it for themselves. Well, why is that true? Well, they discovered that when I demonstrate kindness towards somebody, there's actually things that happen in my body that results in what we've just talked about. There's four key ways that they talk about the physical benefits of kindness. First, they say that kindness has been found to release what they call the feel-good hormones in our bodies. Those things that make us feel good. Kindness has been found to reduce anxiety. Kindness has been found to help alleviate certain illnesses. That one sounds kind of, what? And then I uh, read and it says they did a study of older adults, ages 57 to 85. I happen to fall in that category. may surprise some of you, but I do. And what they discovered is that those in that group that participate and volunteer in situations where they're constantly giving to other people actually manifested lower levels of inflammation in their bodies than those who it did not. Kindness has also been found to reduce our stress levels. But long before science discovered this, long before science was even interested in this, We can read in the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 25, where the writer of Proverbs says, whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. But Jesus is not only inviting us into kindness because of the benefits in our lives, he's also inviting us into kindness because it follows the example of Jesus. I find the study of Jesus to be extremely fascinating and that was really one of my, uh, one of the results of COVID for me was I was teaching at a university at the time. 
And it did mean that suddenly I had 187 students online uh, that I had to manage. But what was happening in my life spiritually was I was really wrestling through the, the issue of what does it practically mean to be like Jesus? And what I began to do is I began to think about that more clearly. I actually decided I was going to read through four books of the Bible we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what I was going to do is begin to think about what are the things that Jesus did. And what is it I can learn because I want to become like him. I need to study him more and see the kinds of things that he did. Here's some things that we discover about kindness. He demonstrated kindness towards arrogance. We see him interact with unbelievably arrogant people and yet respond with amazing kindness. One of the most significant examples is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. So he's really just a brief period of time before the crucifixion. We read in Matthew chapter 20, Matthew records to us who, who was one of the friends and followers of Jesus. So he's writing about what he participated in, actually. But we read a story about two of the disciples, James and John, come to Jesus and they say, Hey, when the kingdom comes, will you let one of us sit on your right hand and one of you sit on the left hand? Which is pretty arrogant. Now, Jesus could have said, do you guys have any idea how arrogant you are? But at first, it seems like he doesn't even respond. He just says to them, well, here's the price you're going to have to pay in order for that to happen. And he, and he says, here's what it's going to cost for me if you're willing to pay that kind of price. And without hesitation, they just say, yeah, we are. And it's almost like we discover that they're pretty arrogant to ask for those two positions. They're even more arrogant than they, we thought when they, say, when they say, yeah, sure, we can do that. And ultimately, Jesus seems to end the conversation and at first read think that maybe he missed an opportunity to do some good teaching here. He just says, well, that's not my decision. It's, it's, it's up to uh, the Father. And then we read that the rest of the disciples, the other ten, found out about what James and John had did, done, and they get into a fight about who actually is the greatest. And Jesus gathers them together and listen to what he says and hear the kindness of responding to their arrogance when he says in Matthew chapter 20, he says, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. I think this is one of those conversations, maybe you've had that situation where you're, something's going on in the locker room or something's going on in, in, uh, you know, at work or whatever, and somebody walks into the room and they start to just talk very gently, and all of a sudden everybody's head just kind of goes down because it's sort of the dagger to the soul. And what's astonishing is that it wouldn't be long before they would get another 
response to the arrogance and a picture of this when Jesus actually at a meal washes their feet. He demonstrated kindness on many occasions towards sin. One is recorded in John where a group of people bring a woman who had been caught in adultery and they bring him with their judgment and with their condemnation and with their holier-than-thou attitudes and they bring this woman to Jesus and say the law commands that we should stone her. What do you think about this? And Jesus towards them responds with, well, whoever of you can stand in judgment over her because of how you follow the law, go ahead and cast the first stone. And then eventually they all walk away. And John records for us in chapter 8, he says, this is what Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers? Don't even one of them condemn you? Neither do I go and sin no more. That's his response to sin. But he demonstrated kindness towards doubting. One of Jesus' closest friends and followers was a guy named Thomas. Thomas often can get the uh, description of doubting Thomas, but I find that to be unfair. My take on Thomas was he was a, a very emotional guy. He was, a, he was a guy who felt emotions very deeply. He was a guy who got into a relationship and v- built very deep friendships. We see an example of this when Jesus at one point says to the disciples, let's go to Galilee and that was a place where he had been uh, tried to be crucified. And the disciples say, we can't go back there. If, they go back, if we go back there, you're going to be killed and died. And finally, Jesus says to them, well, I'm going to go anyways. And Thomas's response in that moment was, well, let's all go and die with him. What he's saying is, I would rather be with Jesus and die with Jesus than to be separated from Jesus. And I believe that the crucifixion and the death of Jesus was Thomas's worst nightmare. He had given everything to this relationship. He had loved Jesus. He was committed to it. His greatest fear was that he would be abandoned by Jesus, and here it is. Which is why I think the first time the friends and followers of Jesus gathered after his crucifixion, after the resurrection, Thomas was not present. The Bible records for us in John chapter 20 that after a little while, they have a second gathering, and this time Thomas is there, and Jesus appears. Now think about what Jesus could have said to him. But here's what he said. And listen again to the gentle kindness in his voice when he says to Thomas, look at my hands. And put your hand in my side, because that's what Thomas had said, unless I see him, unless I see the nail prints in his hands, I'm not, and it's almost as though he was saying, I'm not doing this again. I'm not giving wholeheartedly. And Jesus, in gentleness and kindness, in the midst of his doubting, loved him. We also see Jesus demonstrating kindness towards failures. I think the most dramatic example in the Bible is Peter. 
Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, and Peter ultimately became sort of the leader of the group. And at the Last Supper there, Jesus is having a conversation with them, and what he's essentially doing is he's, he's kind of warning them and saying, okay, here's some things that are going to happen, but he's giving them hope. He's saying, this is what's going to happen, but here's what I'm going to raise from the dead, and, and this is all going to be okay. People are going to de- deny me, and Peter says, no, 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 not me. I'll die for you. In fact, it's recorded that when they, in the garden, when they arrested Jesus, Peter actually had a sword, took out a sword, cut the uh, ear of the servant of the high priest. And Jesus sort of looks at the guys and says, guys, this isn't, this isn't what we're coming out to do. Picks up the ear and puts it on the servant. I've often thought all that the servant heard about Jesus and why they needed to arrest him and why they needed to crucify him. And all of a sudden here he is and he's watching this and then he gets his ear cut off. He's probably thinking to himself, see, this is exactly what these guys were talking about. And yet he watches Jesus rebuke the guys for their response and then puts his ear back on his head. And we read that eventually in John chapter 21, Peter finds himself in a situation where he's approached and somebody says, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Jesus has already been arrested. He's already now at the stage when this has happened. He's already in a place where he's getting beat. The process of his death has already begun. And Peter says, no, I don't know the man. And there's another opportunity, and he says, no, I don't know the man. And then there's a third opportunity, and the Bible says this time he calls down curses on himself to essentially say, I don't know the man. And Luke records for us, which I think is one of the most powerful moments in all of Scripture, the Bible tells us that when Peter denied Christ the third time, somehow his face came up and at that moment they're moving Jesus from where he was to another location and Luke tells us that Jesus looked at Peter and their eyes met. No wonder the Bible tells us that Peter left and went out and wept bitterly. And we know that Peter determined or decided that life is over. I will never follow, he knows. And the Bible tells us that he just went back to fishing. They get together as a group of guys and he says, well guys, I'm just gonna go fish and they go fish and all of a sudden they know somebody on the shore and this person yells out and says, why don't you cast your nets on the other side? And They get this amazing catch, and John says to Peter, that's Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat and runs. I suspect what motivated him is that he's resurrected. I have an opportunity to at least say how sorry I am. I love you. I'm so sorry. But they have a conversation. And this is what Jesus said to him. Jesus said, do you love me? And Peter said, yes. And he said, then feed my lambs. Jesus said again, do you love me? And Peter said, yes. And he said, then take care of my sheep. 
Peter asked him again, I mean, Jesus asked him again, do you love me? And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And then Jesus said, follow me. In his gentleness and kindness, what he was clearly communicating is that your failure does not mean that you can no longer be used. It doesn't mean that that's the end of the story. I forgive you. I'm calling you to what I've always called you to. But beyond the benefits kindness brings to us and beyond the benefits of kindness Jesus modeled for us, I'd like us to consider the kindness that God has demonstrated to us. Listen to the way the Bible describes, the writers of the Bible describe this in Romans chapter 2 verse 4 we read this. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, we read, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, we read, Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of envy and evil, and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. That is what separates Christianity from other religions. I believe there's this, people can say all religions are the same. And I say to them, at a certain point they are, meaning that all religions are an expression of there's a God. I don't meet the standard of that God. And now the religious system becomes what I do in light of that gap. And every other religion but Christianity is about earning that. But Christianity is a God who says people, humans, will never be able to earn that. There's no way to have a relationship with us unless we become the solution to their problem. Think about how Christianity postures our God as a kind and gracious God. When his kindness reaches out to us and our arrogance and reaches out to us and our sin and reaches out to us and our doubt and reaches out to us in our failure and doesn't condemn us, doesn't somehow make us earn more favor. He just reaches out in kindness to let he knows he loves us and forgives us. And if the knowledge of God's kindness is not enough 
for us to be kind towards others. Here's a verse that reveals, we've talked about this through this series, that not only has God extended it to us, but God also has given us what is necessary for us to demonstrate it. In the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 22, we read, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We think how kind to God it is that not only pays the price for our sins, but even says to us, I'm going to give you, when you become a follower of Jesus, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to enable you to become people who demonstrate kindness. The follower of Jesus can be known for a whole lot of things. And often people who claim to be followers of Jesus would not be described as kind people. Not kind people at a restaurant when their order gets messed up. Not kind people who don't do things exactly the way they want. I think if we surveyed people and, and said, give us a list of characteristics, I'm not sure that in this world, people who would be followers of Jesus, the word kindness would jump up to the top. But if there's ever a group of people who ought to be motivated to be, to be somebody who demonstrates kindness, ought it not be the people who have been, have been given the ultimate kindness? I've thought a lot in the last few months about the statement of Jesus where he doesn't say treat others as you would have them treat you. He says treat others as I have treated you. So can I suggest today that maybe today and this week and, and grow in our lives that we look every day for a way to show kindness towards somebody? My wife has challenged me so much over the years. Bonnie is so much more kind than I am. But over the years, just small demonstrations of kindness and the response to people when I do, I recently, uh, maybe it was last year, where I work, I'm sitting and I'm looking out the window at High Street and a middle-aged guy is there with his uh, trash can. He's picking up trash. He's sweeping it, but he notices that in the grate of one of the trees that is in front there, there was something stuck to the grate and it's not coming up with his broom. So he got down on his knees and scraped it. And then when he was down on his knees, he noticed that there were some weeds. And so then he started pulling weeds. And I'm sitting there thinking, that guy is going way beyond what I'm sure is his job description. And I'm very confident that he's one of the very few people in that department who aren't, are going to take that effort to something that just doesn't come up with the uh, broom. And my wife had given me a uh, $5 gift card from Starbucks and said, I want you to find somebody and just say to them, I noticed this, here's a gift card. So I walked out, went out to the sidewalk, and I said, excuse me, and the guy looked up, and the first glance 
hit me that I knew he was not anticipating what was coming. He was anticipating the opposite, trying to brace himself for it. And I said, listen, I want to tell you, I'm sitting right at that window, and here's what I noticed, and I told him what he had done. And I said, this isn't a big thing, but it's a $5 gift card. Just go to Starbucks and get yourself a drink. He cried hard. I thought to myself, what does that guy face every day at his job that some random guy giving him a $5 gift card to say, you went above and beyond your job. That's a great example to me. Thank you for doing that would bring him to tears. Can I suggest that maybe we be a people especially those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, to actually follow his example. And this week when we see arrogance or we have an opportunity to respond to people and their sin and people and their doubting and people and their failures to actually respond with kindness. And though like Jesus, we may need to say things that are helpful to him, we do it with kindness And can I suggest that maybe we be a people who every day of our lives live with an awareness of the kindness that God extended to us in our arrogance and our sin and our doubting and our failures and be a people who says, in light of that, I'm going to treat others with kindness. And maybe, maybe you're here today And you're somebody who what you need to do today is you need to accept the gift card. You need to understand that the kindness of God is that he sent his son Jesus to this earth to pay the price for your sins. And all we have to do is extend our hand, grab the gift card and say thank you. And maybe today's the day you need to do that. Or maybe today's the day that some of you have beat yourself up because of your arrogance or your failures or your sin or your doubting. And maybe today's the day that what you need to do is accept the kindness of God. And then walk out of this place with a renewed commitment to demonstrate to others the kindness that God has demonstrated to us. Let me pray. Father, May you overwhelm my heart in a way that my heart has never, ever been overwhelmed with an unbelievable awareness each and every day of my life of the kindness that you not only demonstrated to me in providing my salvation, the kindness you demonstrated to me, not only by giving me the capacities to actually demonstrate kindness, but the kindness you expressed to me throughout every day of my life. The gentle promptings, sending people to encourage me. But may I not just be overwhelmed with your kindness, may I also be someone who becomes determined to be like Jesus and begin to demonstrate kindness myself. And thank you for not making that in others things you call us to, some sort of duty to earn pleasure with you. 
but we do it and then we begin to experience the blessing that comes from being a person who is just kind towards people. Would you change us in that way today in Jesus' name, amen.